What is going on? Our behavior has changed over the course of this pandemic. Apparently, we're paying a lot more attention to what's going on in the sky. 911 operators in the province of Alberta um, are reporting a lot of people calling them much more than usual, reporting aliens or UFOs at least, things like that. Strange phenomenon in the sky. So what's going on? What's happening? Why is this phenomenon occurring? We're going to chat now with Ron Waldron, who is the president of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada in Saskatoon. Ron, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Oh, you're very welcome. So what's going on? Are there more things happening in the sky or are we just noticing more things in the sky? Uh there's there's not more things happening in the sky. The sky is what it was it is, but it it is true that people are noticing things in the sky more because they're stuck at home. And sometimes they look at things that uh, to an amateur astronomer is a common everyday occurrence, mm-hmm. like the International Space Station or the Starlink satellites uh, going by uh, that Elon Musk has put up there. And they don't realize what they are, so I suspect that's why there's some 911 calls coming in. Yeah, for guys like you who spend a lot of time looking up at the night sky, you can probably pick these things out pretty quickly. But for people who, you know, this isn't something they're used to doing, everything up there could be a potential mystery, correct? Yeah, except for the International Space Station, everything else up there is a nuisance. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean by... It gets in the way of our viewing. Yeah, I mean, like, we have so... We, we did a, a story last week with just the amount of accumulated junk in Earth's low orbit. Is that what you're talking about? Just so yeah. much stuff up there right now? Yeah. Elon Musk has a, a a desire to do a worldwide web so that the web is accessible all over the world, which is a great thing to do. But he's doing it via a grid of well over 3,200 satellites in low orbit. And any chance we have of looking at the sky... And doing any kind of photographer is photography is really being hampered by his efforts in this in this way. Just too much light in the sky is that what it is? No, no, it's the satellites cross the path of your field of view of your camera. Okay. And so what you end up with is your because when you take nighttime photographs, you have to take time exposures. You can't just aim and shoot. Right. And so when you're taking a twenty-minute time exposure of the sky, the chance that a satellite is going to cross that path and put a streak in your photograph was very slim, but it isn't anymore. Um, is this? A t- are you seeing um, a surge in interest in people sky watching and getting into astronomy and those sorts of things? Oh, are we ever? Yes, really? I, I think uh, all the people, well, all of the amateur astronomers like myself, and all of the uh, retailers that are um, selling telescopes and astrophotography equipment, they. They've never seen it quite like this. And I think it has to do with people, you know, being stuck at home and having more time. And astronomy, in fairness, is a family-oriented activity that doesn't put you at any risk with uh, during a pandemic. It can be done at home from your backyard, or you can take the family to a dark site uh, outside of town and do your observing there. So it's, it's a good activity during a pandemic. You know, how, how would somebody even get started, though? Like, I mean, like you say, you can do it in the backyard if you have a telescope or things like that. But for people who are thinking maybe this is an interesting avenue to go down, what's, how do you get started being a, a sky watcher? Well, the first thing, you, the way to start is with a pair of binoculars. Okay. Uh, never, never start with a telescope because uh, telescopes are a different kettle of fish. It's, if you start with a pair of binoculars and, and a star map or as a star app, is what we would use today, 
um, you can start looking for things in the sky. I mean, first of all, you'll notice the moon and the planets, but then you'll start looking deeper into the Milky Way and into nebulas and galaxies. But then after you've satisfied that thirst with your binoculars, you put the binoculars aside and then you go shopping for a telescope <laughs> because you want to get really close to the moon and you want to get really close to the planets and binoculars aren't going to do that. You know, I mean, I think there's something that hooks you. I remember when I was a kid, we had a neighbor, Mr. Rankin, who had a telescope in his backyard. And we would all be out playing whatever, you know, road hockey, baseball, whatever the case may be. There'd be a bunch of us kids out playing, and he would come out and round us all up after he had found something really cool in his telescope. And we would all trot over and look through. And I know for a lot of us, it, it's almost a life-changing experience, right? When, like, I remember seeing the rings on Saturn, and it's just, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Something like that can really hook a person. Yeah, I'm... I all myself and uh, all of my colleagues in amateur astronomy we're the mr rankins of the world we love <laughs> to do that <laughs> um uh, we will find something in our telescope and if there's some neighbors or something that we'll invite them over to have a look and i'm not surprised at your reaction to saturn because saturn is the planet that hooks most people is that right because when you see the rings of saturn for the first time it takes your breath away it does. And, and it still does that after I've watched it over 500 times. It still takes my breath away. Um, it's, people have an interesting reaction to Saturn. First of all, they never forget it. But the, their immediate reaction is they will turn to me and they will say, that's not real, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and they almost want to accuse me of putting a slide in the telescope. <laughs> but it, because... I mean, to see it in a picture is one thing, but to see it live through a telescope, it is amazing. So, you know, how did it start for you? Was it something as simple as that? And, and, and how far have you taken it now? Like, it's gone beyond a hobby, obviously, but um, it's a passion. What, what drives you to keep doing this? Oh, uh, it is a passion. And for me, it's a love of sharing my passion with others. So I started when I was 10 years old. My dad took me outside uh, the city to look at some stars and try to find some constellations. Yeah. And, and I never forgot it. Uh, you know, that wouldn't work with all kids, but it worked for me. And uh, then uh, I started to buy telescopes. I now own five of them. <laughs> I only have two eyes, but I have five telescopes. And uh, the other thing, when I was teaching, because I'm a retired uh, educator, I would always give a healthy dose of astronomy to my students as well. And so it's just been a lifelong passion for me, and it's uh, kept me on the straight and narrow, I guess. You know, we had a big story here, and I'm sure you were all over it at the time when we had that, I don't know if it's a meteor or a meteorite, I can never remember, not that long ago, that just blazed across the sky over the prairies. Um, when something yeah. like that happens, does that really spark uh, an uptake in interest? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, that was Grand Prairie, Alberta, not not too long ago, and um, they, it's a meteorite. Yeah. Although that one, they're pretty sure didn't land, so the, I don't think anybody's out there scouting to try to find it. It uh, they're pretty sure it burned up completely before it hit the ground, but it was very bright. Meteors are very short-lived events, and people, you know, ooh and awe about them, but I don't think it sparks the interest in astronomy. I think what sparks the interest in astronomy is a night under the sky with an amateur astronomer like myself and my colleagues, or just 
maybe you're around a campfire, yeah. you know, in your backyard, and you just happen to notice the sky a little bit more. Hey, Ron, before I let you go, like you're saying, a lot of the things that people are seeing in the sky and wondering what it is, you, you can identify them immediately. You know what they are. So I imagine this is documented someplace. So it, rather than calling 911 to report seeing a UFO, if people see something and they want to find out more, what's the best way to do that? <laughs> uh, I don't know that I have an answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would agree with you. Don't call 911. Um, I've been watching the sky since I was 10 years old. I'm now 68. I've never seen anything in the sky that I couldn't identify. Hmm. And, I mean, I watch the sky like a hawk. So right. I'm, I'm just saying I'm, I'm a little bit hardened to the idea that there might be something visiting us. I'm not hardened to the idea that there's something else out there. I'm, I'm a firm believer that there's going to be life elsewhere in the universe. But I don't think we're being visited. So I, I don't have an answer for what they should do. <laughs> uh, it's not like... I could suggest you call the Alberta UFO Club if right. one exists, but I don't. I don't have those connections. Is it disappointing to you that in fifty-eight years you've never found something you couldn't identify? Isn't part of it the mystery and maybe discovering something? No, no, no. Uh, every time I look through my telescope at a faraway object, I'm very much aware of the vastness of the universe, and I'm very much aware of the possibility of life out there. But the sheer distances alone that are involved yeah. in other life forms getting to us or even us being able to spot life elsewhere in the universe, the distances are pretty much insurmountable. So I'm not expecting to find life elsewhere in the universe in, our, in my lifetime or even in my grandchildren's lifetime, but I think we will find evidence that there are other planets out there that might support life like our Earth does yep. so well. Yeah. I mean, statistically speaking, I've been told, Ron, it's almost a certainty. Just with the number that's up there, uh, statistically speaking, there's going to be something that lines up pretty closely to what we have going on here. Oh, absolutely. And I, the way I like to explain it is, is uh, I can't believe for one minute, or for even one second, that all of that majesty of other galaxies, other nebulas, that it's all put there just for us. It, it's right. absolutely illogical and very self-centered to even think that way. <laughs> so, no, I'm a firm believer in life elsewhere in the universe. Um, some listeners with some questions. Uh, is there an adapter for a telescope to a laptop? I'm not sure. Does that mean anything to you? Yeah, there's a lot of people that are doing astronomy via a laptop. You can, you can, the telescopes now are all uh, robotically, can be robotically okay. controlled. And so, yeah, there's adapters. Uh, any retailer that sells telescopes would be able to steer you in the right direction. Okay, and this listener wants to know what power of telescopes needed to see the rings on Saturn. Can you pick one of those up at the Best Buy? Uh, yes. You can. You don't um, need a massive me machine for that, do you? No, you don't. The minimum power to see the rings of Saturn is 40 times. Okay. And, but a comfortable power to view it at would be around 100 to 150 times. So any telescope that goes up to 100 to 150 power is ample to see just about anything you want to see. In fact, our best views of the universe are never at high power. Our most memorable views are always at low power. Okay, is it just because it's too much? 
Well, when you magnify the object that you're looking at over 150 times, the atmosphere comes into play and it starts to shimmer and shake and and the resolution goes down. So right. my, my stunning view is I never show the, the average public person from the public, I'll never show them anything over 150 power. Okay. Great discussion, Ron. Thank you so much. I could talk about this all day, but I do got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, that's uh, Ron Waldron, who is the president of the Royal Astronom- Astronomical Society of Canada.